Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. All right, good morning. Good morning. Oh, come on, we can do better than that. Good morning. Awesome, 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 awesome. I, I, I've been told today that we're going to get massive gusts of wind and it's going to be crazy, so maybe that's why some of us are a little bit down this morning. But let me just encourage you. I think the only people that can 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 complain when it comes to uh, the weather and just the morning are people that have receding hairlines. And I'm one of them. And uh, so I have the right to be upset right now because the moment I step out into that gust of wind, no hairspray will be able to tame this head, okay? Um, but it is just so good to see you guys. It's so good uh, that you've, you've come here. I see so many new faces and uh, for those of you who are brand new, we are in a, a series, a brand new series uh, called Dare to be Different. And uh, as we saw here, we saw a man who had this one career path. Tim, he was, he was deciding that this is what he was going to do for the rest of his life. And then God just changed the trajectory of his life. And I actually believe that God uh, has created you on purpose and with a purpose as well, too. So why don't you just look to your neighbor right now and say, God has created you with purpose and on purpose. Last week, we had a couple who, when I told them to do something like that, they just kissed each other. So uh, I'm not going to ask you to do that, but uh, if you're a couple or if you're you just really like the person beside you. I have no hard feelings toward that. Uh, and my wife's not here, so she can't look, be, look at me in a, in a bad way and just saying you're in trouble later on, okay? Um, but yeah, we are in a brand new series. And what we're doing is we're talking about Dare to be Different, and we're studying the life of Nehemiah, who was this incredible historical figure. And uh, also, he was this incredible leader who wasn't shying away from fulfilling God's purpose for his life, even in the midst of the next impossible odds or, or incredible opposition. This man was steadfast, and, and he didn't sway under pressure. And last week, uh, as we've been discovering what it means to be different, dare to be different, what it means to live out our lives on purpose and, and chase after the calling that God has given each one of us, we, uh, what we were talking about is how to discover our calling in life and that often what our calling is actually found in, in responding to the needs around us. We see a need that resonates with us and we respond, we, we fill the need. And often the need is put there or, or the need is there because God will give you unrest or he will, he will give you this passion in your spirit to do something about it. So um, if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to check out the podcast, listen to Portico Milton uh, regarding the message. I'm, I'm told the speaker is pretty good. So um, take a listen and check that out. Now you guys, come on, that was good. You got to do better than this, okay? Even just entertain me a little bit. Honey, entertain me, okay? Please, thank you. I appreciate that. 
So this week, we're actually going to be going a little bit more in depth. We're going to be going a little bit more in depth because I think often what prevents us from taking the initial steps, uh, those first initial steps, is that we don't know what to do with our God-given dreams. Everyone here has a dream, has a desire, has something that God has put in your heart. And a lot of the time, what prevents us from moving forward into that dream and seeing that dream become a reality is not knowing what to do, not knowing the first steps. We're looking for answers of what to do, but we can't find it anywhere. It reminds me of a story I heard about a father and son who went out fishing. And uh, the, it was a, a wonderful time, and, and then at some point, the son, he looks around, and he's seeing life and, and the world and, and all the intricate details, and, and he looks at his dad, and he, he says to his dad, he goes, Dad, how's this boat held together? And the dad looked at him and said, well, you know what? I don't know. And he says, well, Dad, how does this boat float? And the dad looks at him and goes, hmm, you know, son, I don't know. A little bit of time passed, and, and suddenly the, the son looks up again, and, and the boy says to him, he says, Dad, how do fish breathe underwater? And the father looks at him and goes, you know, I, act, I don't know. And then the, the son kind of thinks for a minute, and then he goes, Dad, why is the sky blue? And once again, the father goes, you know what, son, I don't know. And finally, the, the, the son, feeling like he's annoyed his father, feels like he has to apologize. And, and, and he says, dad, do, do you mind me asking you all these questions? And, and the father thinks, and he goes, well, no, I, I don't at all, because if you don't ask questions, you won't learn anything. And... and some of you are catching on a little bit delayed. That's okay, though. You are all welcome here at church, okay? And I think so often we're like that boy. I think so many of us can be like him. We're looking for meaning. We're looking for purpose. We're looking for understanding. We're asking even the right questions, but it just seems like we're getting nowhere closer to what God has been desiring for us to do. We're, we're getting nowhere closer to those dreams, those ambitions that we have, that God-given, inspired dream that you might feel you need to do. And it's something that I believe God wants to reveal to us today. So let me ask you this question. How do you turn a dream into a destiny? How do you turn a dream into a destiny? Feel free, if you've got your notes out, you can put that in there. How do you turn a dream, a God-given dream, into destiny, into, into reality? And so today we're actually going to look at four steps to turn your dreams into destiny. And we're going to look at the best place possible, reliable, and I'm pretty confident that if you follow through on these things that your God-given dreams will become reality. And so we're going to open up the scriptures to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. <clears throat> and I'm going, to, I'm going to read part of it for you. Nehemiah chapter 2. 
Here's what it says. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in, the presence before, in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face so, look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governor of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me as well. When Samballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Father, I just pray um, as we uh, just dive into your word, as we spend time trying to discover how we move from here to there, move from these dreams that you've given us to the destiny that you have planned for us, the reality that you want us to live in. I pray, Father, that, that as we just talk and work this through, Lord, that you would just reveal your truth, that you would put an excitement, an excitement, and a passion to see things through in each one of each one of us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, the, so the first step to turning your God-given dream into destiny is to step out in courageous faith. Step out in courageous faith. Up to this point, uh, uh, up to this point in time in Nehemiah's life and career, although he was a servant in exile, he had become what we call a cupbearer to the king, which is which it was a pretty cozy gig, if you ask me. It was uh, it was a person that got to not only advise the king. But it was someone that also got to drink all the, the king's wine and drink uh, uh, anything that the king had. He was able to eat whatever the king had. So he was having literally meals fit for a king all the time because he was the taste tester as an advisor and as a cupbearer to the king. And, and uh, one thing that we, we look at him is like any job you have rules and regulations that you have to stand by. And one of the rules to serving the king was that it was illegal to subject or impose grief 
onto the king or onto any of the monarchs. In other words, a servant could not let their personal life interfere with their work life. It means that there was so, uh, no such thing as requesting mental health days, right? There was no such thing as venting about how crazy your kids are at work, right? These things were not a reality at that time. Pretty much your problems did not equate to their personal happiness. In fact, as I was uh, doing a little bit more research into this, it amazed me because they actually, uh, historians actually say that if you dressed in clothes that were depressing to the king, that the king could potentially have you fired, could have you exiled from the country, and even murdered. Can you imagine that? Wearing clothes that potentially would upset the king, right? I like to wear a lot of black like that. That looks like mourning clothes, right? I I could be exiled for that. You know, for those, I don't want to pick out certain items of clothes. I'll just get in trouble, right? But, but, right, like these, there was so much pressure to be in front of the king. You weren't allowed to do so many things. And so it was no surprise when the king notices Nehemiah's grief and questions him on the matter. And the Bible actually says that Nehemiah was terrified in the presence of the king. And actually it's here at this point that Nehemiah finds himself at the point of no return. He's at a crucible, a time of testing where he must decide in the moment whether to live in fear or to live by faith. Whether to step back in fear or step out in courageous faith. And it's the same choice that each one of us has today when God calls us to meet a need. I actually believe that there's two forces in our lives. I believe there's two forces in our lives, faith and fear. And whichever one you live by will ultimately dictate how your life will impact those around you and whether you will see your dreams become a reality. And so in this moment, Nehemiah does the only thing he knows what to do in the midst of uncertainty. uncertainty. The Bible says that he prays. And I said this last week, every great thing starts with prayer. Every great thing starts with prayer, but it doesn't end there. It starts with prayer, but then it responds in faith. So Nehemiah said to the king in verse two, if you look to your Bibles right now, Nehemiah says, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And it was because in this moment that Nehemiah stepped out in courageous faith, he was not only permission to go, but resourced to go as well. In other words, he was given safe passage. He was given supplies and an army entourage. Now, I would love one day to have an army entourage. I think that would be so neat. The most I've had is um, taking youth to Great Wolf Lodge. That's, that's the biggest entourage I've ever had. 
and uh, it was chaotic, and I think I cried a little bit at the end of the night because I was so tired. Um, but it was, it, it, come to Great Wolf Lodge, it's going to be amazing youth, but... Um, so he has all these things happen to him. And I'm actually a firm believer today that if God calls you to something, he will also resource you to get the job done. And the resource may not only may not be what you want, but it'll be what you need to start the job. It'll be what you need to get the job done. When you look at Tim's story, it was a position, a, a regenerate was a thing that he was like, you know what, there's just so much bad going on there, I just don't want anything to do, it, do with it. And yet, he felt compelled by God to do something, and he stepped in with what God provided, and now it's literally feeding hundreds of thousands of people a year, because he stepped out in courageous faith. And he trusted that God would provide. And you know what? It doesn't, make, it doesn't make the decision easier by any means when we step out in courageous faith. I think Nehemiah really had to, to think about the possible outcomes when he made the decision. But I also don't think that he regretted it, even if it freaked him out. If you know Tony Campolo, he, he actually talks about how most times when he talks to people that are at the, ends of the end of their life, uh, the average person actually wishes that they risked more. And what he's found is not only that they wish that they risked more, but that, that they actually had no concern, they didn't care anything about how much they had vacationed, how much they had traveled, even how much they earned the number one thing that the average person says is they wish that they had risked more. And I actually believe that it, it was this moment that defined what Nehemiah's attitude would be throughout the rest of his life. And for some of you today, that's all you need. You know what God has put on your heart to do. Now you just need to step out in courageous faith and do it. The, the type of faith that, that, that uh, doesn't focus on what you're leaving behind, but rather what impact you will have moving forward. The type of faith that's not worried about the risk, but confidently knows that if it, God is for me, who can be against me? The kind of courageous faith that doesn't let fear dictate your life despite unthinkable odds and in the midst of unimaginable opposition. That is the type of faith that we need. And luckily, that is the type of faith, courageous faith that God gives you, that God can give you. That is the type of faith you need. And that's the type of faith that he gives you. And it's the same type of courageous faith that he gave Nehemiah. The next step we need in order to make our dream into a destiny is to own the vision personally. Own the vision personally. Nehemiah 2, 11 to 12 says, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. 
What we see here is that Nehemiah owned the vision personally before he ever exposed it publicly. He didn't just show up to Jerusalem, cast a vision, throw the resources at people and say, hey, figure it out for yourselves, right? Nehemiah did it the right way. He spent several days carefully observing and assessing the damages on the wall. He got firsthand opinions and information in order to plan accordingly. And he personally owned and response, uh, uh, he personally owned the responsibility of building the wall. One thing that was neat as I was studying, and if you read uh, further in chapter two, he starts describing where he actually assessed the wall in the middle of the night. And if you, you're paying attention, you'll actually see that he only dealt with the southern wall. The only wall that he really assessed in detail was the southern wall. And so I, I, I thought it was so strange. So I, I talked to one of my friends, Joe, who knows a lot about history and Israeli history and, and knows a lot about the culture and, and, and the people and the landscape. And I asked him, I said, why is it that Nehemiah would only go and search out and, and look at the, the southern wall? And what he said was very interesting. He looked at it, and he looked at the map, and he, and he said to me, you know, strategically, that would have been the best place for enemies to attack from, which is probably why Nehemiah personally wanted to see the condition of the wall and come up with a plan. And you know what? It got me thinking. It got me thinking that without ownership, there is no leadership, and without leadership, there is no accomplishment in life. Unless we own it, we will never become the leader that God has called us to be. And if we are not being the leader that God has called us to be, those dreams will just be dreams. We'll never accomplish anything. And here's the thing. No one was willing to step up and fix the, the greatest problem that the people had in Jerusalem, which was a ruined wall. It was burned down gates. But because Nehemiah took ownership of the problem and found a solution, the people saw his leadership, uh, his leadership potential, and were willing to do what he set out to accomplish. And it's the same for you and I. Until we're willing to take ownership, there will be no accomplishment. Dreams will just be dreams, and we'll run the risk of wishing at the end of our lives that we risked more. So we have to own the vision personally. Let me ask you today, what in your life have you been feeling God saying you need to do? What is that thing in your life that every time it comes up, you just have this, this urge, this, this desire for someone or something to do something about it? What is it? What is that? And is it possible that you need to take ownership on that? That you need to take the lead on that in order to see it accomplished? The third step in order to make a dream your, uh, into a destiny is to share the vision selectively. Up to this point, Nehemiah had not shared his vision with any of the Persians or any of the Jewish leaders. 
In fact, the Bible says in verse 16 to 18, if you look to your notes, it says that the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. But then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God and how it was on me and what the king had said to me. You know, I believe, I believe Nehemiah strategically did not tell a lot of people what he was doing because what he wanted to stay away from was things like gossip. He wanted to prevent gossip from happening. He wanted to prevent opposition from being organized and to make sure that all of his ducks were in a row so that he could effectively build the wall and lead the project. And because he was selective with telling people his plans and intentionally about seeing the problems with the wall firsthand, he was able to cast a compelling vision. For those of you who are wondering, how do you cast a compelling vision? I've got this desire in my heart. I've got these, these passions. Of, there's these things in my life that I want to see happen, but I don't know how to inspire those. Well, look what Nehemiah did. He identified a need or a problem. He proposed a realistic solution, and he extended an invitation to others who couldn't refuse the plan. You want to inspire those around you? You want to make a difference and bring those around you that you need to. You need to identify, propose, and extend an invitation to others. And I actually think that if he didn't do it this way, if he didn't keep it quiet and be selective with who he shared with, the the wall would have never been built. Enemies would have come and raided all the resources. Leaders would have tried to take over, and it would have just been a really bad situation. And likewise, you might be able to, in this room, cast a compelling vision, but if you've brought in the wrong people around you, they will not build you up. Rather, they will tear you down. You know, a lot of times we feel like if God has put something on our heart that we can just blab it to anyone, we can just say it to anyone, and we would expect people to join in. It's not what happened with Joseph. You remember that story? Joseph has this dream that one day his brothers will bow down and, and others will, br- will bow down, and, and he he too soon and not selectively, he went to his brothers and and said, hey, this is what God said to me. This is what's going to happen. And what ended up happening? They threw him in a cistern and they put him into slavery. Sometimes those God-given dreams that you have are not meant for everyone right now. Maybe it's just meant for your family or a friend or someone that God's been putting on your heart to do ministry with, to to do life with, to make a difference with. And so being wise in choosing the right people to share your dreams is so important. Finally, we need to be resilient when facing resistance. We need to be resilient when facing resistance. 
Nehemiah when it became public that he was going to build the wall. Sam Ballad and, and Tobiah, who were officials in that region, went up to him and they, they heard and, and they heard what was happening and they decided to go up and mock him and ridicule him. And they actually said, what is this that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And you know what? It's really interesting if you, if you look at that line. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? If you remember the story in Genesis, the serpent tempts Eve by saying, did God really say you couldn't eat of the fruit? You know, one of the biggest lies and one of the biggest temptations that the enemy will do in your life is he will make you second guess yourself. He will make you second guess what God has told you. Eve knew not to eat of the fruit. She knew that she wasn't supposed to. And that's why the serpent came in and he said, did God really say that? And God often does that. Sometimes you and I, we have these incredible dreams and these incredible desires to do something good, to fill a need. But then there's that voice inside going, did God really say to do that? Are you really the person to lead this? Are you sure? And you see a very different contrast between Eve and what we see Nehemiah says in this moment. You see, Nehemiah sees what they're trying to do, that they're trying to cast doubt on his dreams becoming a reality. And so what he says is he says, the God of heaven will give us success. He reiterates what, who God is. He reiterates who's in control in all of this. He reiterates who has called him. Hey, you got a problem? You talk to God. I know what God said, and I'm living it out. And by the way, look at the life. Look, look at what's been going on and the hand of God that's been on my life. You see a problem? You talk to him. The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. The enemy is sneaky. And he will, he, will, he will try and make you doubt. He will try and make you second guess. He will try and make you indecisive, which by the way, when you're indecisive, that's making a decision. He will do that because he doesn't want to see you accomplish what God has brought you here for. I said this last week that I actually don't believe that it's, it's a mistake that you're here today. I actually believe that God has brought you here today. God has brought you to, to Portico. God has brought you to Milton on purpose for a purpose. And the worst thing that we can see happen in our church is to second guess the calling that God has on our lives. And a lot of the times we'll actually excuse ourselves saying, man, I've made too many mistakes. I, I'm not the leader type like a Nehemiah or like a David or like so-and-so. You know, I've, I've made mistakes. I'm, I'm more of the quiet type. I'm more of the introvert. I'm, I'm this and that. And let me tell you again, let me reiterate it, is that if God calls you, God will supply. God will give you the resources you need. 
God will give you the strength and the courage. God will give you the wisdom. All you have to do is go back to the source like Nehemiah, right? The God of heaven will help me succeed. That's where my strength comes from. That's where my source of hope comes from. And so friends, we need to, and and band if you can come up. Friends, we need to be resilient when facing resistance. We can't second guess what you know God is calling you to do. So what is God calling you to do in your workplace, in your home, in your community, in our church? What is God calling you to? We can't be second guessing. Rather, we need to be resilient and have faith that he who began a good work in you will continue it until, continue his work until it's finished. Thanks for watching today. Be sure to check out our other messages on this page, and you can also watch us live online every Sunday morning at 1010 a.m. Don't forget, share your story or send us a prayer request by emailing info at porticocanada.ca. You can also stay connected by liking our Facebook page or following us on Twitter at PorticoCC.